Thank you for tuning in to Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z. As you know, if you've been listening for the past two weeks, we intended to have Dr. Cheyenne Bryant back for part three in a series of conversations we were talking about um, as we recognize Women History Month. However, um, because of a scheduling conflict of my own, I had to postpone that interview. So we hope to get her back soon. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to bring back an episode I'm sure you're going to love that I did in season three with my guest, Jennifer Silva. And once this show begins, you'll see why it's a perfect opportunity to bring this episode back as we observe Women's History Month. Her credentials are impeccable. Her story is amazing. The knowledge she shares is immeasurable. So tune in and I look forward to seeing you next week. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. You're listening to Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z. Let's talk about it. Something for your mind, 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 mind. Something for your mind, 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 mind. Something for your mind, Something for your Something for your for your. I'm so happy for you all to join us today. We have a very special show and I have another very excellent guest for you today. I'm sure that you're going to enjoy her. My guest today is Jennifer Silva. Uh, Jennifer Silva received her master's in public health from Loma Linda University School of Public Health. Prior to attending Loma Linda University, Jennifer was a part of various projects related to global health education where she taught in Pompeii, Micronesia for two years. She has a passion for education, public health, and serving vulnerable groups in the Inland Empire here in Southern California and abroad. Currently, she works for IEHP as a health educator, where she oversees the hypertension initiatives for her department. Prior to that, she worked for the San Bernardino County Department of Public Health during the COVID-19 pandemic response. When she's not working, Jennifer enjoys spending time with family and friends. She's an avid hiker and loves every part of the ocean. Now, we have to talk about the every part of the ocean, but welcome, <laughs> Jennifer. Thank you for being my guest today. No, thank you for having me. No, I'm excited for our conversation. No, I, I am as well because, uh, you know, of our current situation and your connection to it, the, the health care crisis, uh, pandemic, et cetera. I'm sure we have a lot to talk about that our listeners uh, would uh, benefit from. So first, I, I, I want to talk just about an, an overview. Um, currently, you're working as um, you're working. Uh, you're overseeing, I should say, the hypertension initiatives for the department. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, of course. So about six months ago, um, I was hired on as a health educator for IHP. And for those who don't know what IHP is, it's the Inland Empire Health Plan. So it's a choice health um, health plan for Medicare and Medi-Cal um, for the state, for both um, Riverside and San Bernardino County. So we have about 1.5 million um, members that have this health plan. And, you know, um, when you look at the demographics of the people who have Medicare and Medicaid, um, the majority of them, it's about 67% of them are Latino and then you have um, the other percentages within the other racial groups. Um, but one of the issues that we've noticed, like when you look at data um, from Riverside County as well as San Bernardino County, is that a lot of members and individuals are struggling um, with high blood pressure. And one of the things with high blood pressure, they consider that a silent killer because what essentially what it does is um, you may have high blood pressure, which is hypertension, 
um, where it means your the elevations of your heart are just higher as far as like the pressure diastolic systolic but um but people aren't aware of it because you don't get symptoms until after the fact but when you start seeing symptoms is usually when you go into the emergency room and for some people they may be having a heart attack or a stroke and so part of the initiative is to start health education or preventative information where people can understand um, some of the implications or how you can prevent that, how you can prevent getting high blood pressure, um, some of the risk factors. So talking about um, just stress um, for many individuals who mostly minority groups um, that have stress related um, factors in their life and how do you cope with stress? How do you get the resources that you need for stress or even um, a diet plan? Um, what what are you putting into your body? How can we adapt that? And one of the things that we're looking at too is just what are some standard cultural um, recipes um, that minority groups have, whether you're Latino or African-American, and how can we adapt that to like a healthier um, living recipe? And so part of the program, it's still in its creation. Um, again, they had um, a booklet that they would send out to members, but right now I'm actually creating the program and we're partnering with another organization that has a curriculum. And so we're gonna actually pilot that in November. So it is fresh and it's new. And so for anyone who is a member um, of IHP, they're gonna have access to that if they have been diagnosed with having high blood pressure or depending on what phase, cause they do come in phases, um, they'll be have, they will have access to that program. Uh, that, that's outstanding. So. I, I, a couple of things you you mentioned were symptoms and then I'm, I'm thinking you know prior to symptoms there's maybe some type of lifestyle or some type of experiences that leads leads up to it so you know what might be some yeah. symptoms that folks could early symptoms that folks could look out for as an indication that you know there needs to be a lifestyle or some type of change in, in dietary uh, um, yeah you know. Definitely. So um, there have um, for high blood pressure, it usually comes with other comorbidities. They're called um, other like risk factors or ailments. So um, diabetes is one of them. But when you look at like some of the symptoms of high blood pressure or if you're going to start or you want to change that, you want to look at your weight. So weight is an indicator. Like if you are overweight, it could essentially mean that you may have other issues. And if you look at um, these chronic diseases that we're seeing now more often um, like diabetes, um, heart disease, a lot of it has to do with diet and, you know, weight management and control. Um, also, it is genetic too, like there are some variations to um, people like, so if you look at your family history, for example, you look at your parents and your grandparents, um, you want to analyze what are some of the um, diseases that they may have had or just like their health, um, their, their health history. So we always ask them also, like, you know, just look at your family. Like, what are some of the things that, you know, your family has struggled with that you can, because um, some of these things are past, you know, genetically or even um, just culture and habits, you know, like you think about your own family, like you inherit those habits, right? And that culture. And so part of like, you know, that community, you can work together to see um, how, what are some lifestyle changes we can make to improve our health. Um, other symptoms of high blood pressure, uh, just not even knowing it. So part of like the curriculum is to get a blood pressure monitor and actually, you know, check your blood pressure and monitor that. If you are going, for example, under a lot of stress, which a lot of people in this pandemic have been in stress, so their blood pressure may have gone up during this time. And so just modifying that, checking that, making sure that you're okay, um, getting your yearly physical um, that's something that you can do as well. So because the your healthcare provider will, you know, let you know um, any symptoms that you may be having and where you can control um, your health and where it's going. So those are some areas that people can look at. Now that's great. I, I was just thinking as you were speaking, I was I was wondering how might the emotional toll of the pandemic um, affect or influence um, incidents of higher higher blood pressure and you know, if there are yeah. ways to ameliorate it, you know, is, is, are there, you know, mental or mind exercises that, that folks right. can engage in to, to help with that? Because, you know, I imagine that it can get out of control um, mm -hmm. to a point where now you may have to do some other things to, to get it under, under control. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And um, one of the things, too, like when we look at social determinants of health, and so that's a term that we use in public health. And what that essentially means, like social determinants of health, is that 
um, at times when you look at the condition or the health condition of the person, um, what is actually the real reason as to why they are in that situation? And a lot of times you'll see, like, for example, you know, as people get older and like, you know, we focus on like the elderly, like, do they have transportation to actually get to their appointments? Do they have a support system that can get them to what they need or the medication that they need? And so that would be like a social determinant. Or for other families, you know, you have a single mother of with four kids and, you know, she's working and she has these kids that she has to take to school. Um, they have a car that's not running properly. Like, when is she ever going to think about her health, right? Or like just to go out and exercise or even the environment that you're in. Um, for some places, um, they look at the infrastructure of cities. So here in Redlands, they have a great infrastructure. You have like a bike lane, you can walk, they have sidewalks. But in other places, they don't have that or even light, you know, lighting where you can actually go for a walk. And so, you know, when you think about that, it's sometimes there's you have to think beyond, you know, the health issue. It's not that people necessarily don't want to be healthy or they're choosing to be unhealthy. It's actually like they are certain circumstances that keep them in that situation. And so I I think, you know, like to your question, it's um, it's really interesting how like, you know, stress factors or even how, how did you grow up? You know, like what is your family unit like? Um, did they allow you to advance? Did you have a support system? And how that all increases with time. And so I, you know, I like, I like that you asked that just because some people don't think about that perspective when it comes to health. And some people can look at you and say, you know, you're the product of your choices. And in some ways people are, but in other times, like, you know, you have to see like all the other factors around that. And, um, and I, I like programs like, you know, that are within public health, because it's working with how do we help support, you know, a person in their circumstance to help them advance into, you know, their optimal health. Sure. No, that, that, that's great. You know, I've, I've heard about studies where, you know, they'd say certain groups of people are more likely to develop, you know, hypertension and, and things of that nature. And, and you, right. know, they name, you know, African-American, uh, Latinos, uh, Native Americans, et cetera. Mm, and I right. had, I hadn't thought I, I've always you know, associated that with particular diets, like, you know, available foods mm. that are within communities or, or healthy food options or fresh, you know, mm. edible foods in grocery stores and things like that, which is also right. important. Um, but just thinking about the, the social parameters that affect it and then looking right. at the social conditions of cities or maybe yes. histories of, of discrimination and racism that can take a, yes. a mental toll on folks being a, a determinant that, that brings a lot to light. I know, uh, in the development, early development of our country, as, as cities started to grow, you know, there was mm. an emphasis by city planners to, you know, put in parks into, in cities. You mentioned going for a walk in places like that. And that was a part of it. Right. And, and I don't know if they had, you know, done the studies of, hypertension or whatnot or stress, but apparently there was an indication that, you know, people needed a place just to, you know, kick back, relax from the busy and the hustle and bustle of the city. So um, th th right. it, it makes, makes perfect sense. Um, right. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that, that's some very useful information. I, I just learned, you know, well, correlating, I just had never correlated that, um, that situation. Hypertension, I know yeah. is a very serious um, concern. Um, and since you brought up the effect of the social portion of it, I know that uh, San Bernardino County over the last year had declared racism a public health crisis, uh, a declaration made by, right. by the county. And the fact that, you know, the effects of racism are um, very debilitating. I, I, I wonder, I, I'd like to see, you know, data on the incidence of, of hypertension um, within those communities and, and then maybe some post studies that look at, you know, after programs and policies were implemented and different services, was was there a decline? And, and I know that COVID kind of, you know, is right in the middle of, of the declaration of the county. <laughs> and so, you know, it'd be hard to, you know, differentiate. I mean, you, you, you could to a degree, but differentiate the stress factors of COVID and, and versus the relief that's that we're hopefully going to see from you know, some policies that have not been friendly to, you know, certain groups. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. There's actually um, through like the CDC and then even um, the Department of Health Agency for all of the federal government, there's actually a mandate um, where the initiative is for in regards to hypertension and the African-American community and how there is programmatic efforts for that just because there have there is studies and there's data that shows that the prevalence of hypertension and high blood pressure within certain communities and groups are a lot higher. And that's why, like, you know, within each, you know, healthcare agency and even within the departments of public health, there is a focus because we need to um, figure out what are these, you know, the social determinants to that and why is a certain population, like a group struggling with that more so than any other group. And I think, you know, we've done like different, like key informant studies and like um, interviews where I've talked to different healthcare professionals, like pharmacists and, you know, cardiologists and nurses. And one of the issues that they do, do they do see and where it's just the stress factor, you know, like you're, when you're um, under stress, you know, your body sends chemicals, you know, which is cortisol into your body. And that chemical, you know, it increases the blood to go and flow and like your heart also increases. So could you imagine someone who's under chronic stress so that physiological response, that that flight or fright, or what is it, flight or fight response, um, your body does change physically. And because it's trying to, you know, indicate like you either run or you say, or like you have to do something. And so there's people that is a natural response to the body when there is something in front of them and you have to respond. But for someone who is constantly, that response is there chronically it does affect the body. And I think that's, you know, an issue that we see with a lot of, you know, with rate within racism is that, you know, individuals are under a lot of stress, you know, they're under chronic stress. And not only that, you know, and then you add in, you know, the diet and, you know, not being able to exercise, you know, family stability and all these other factors. And then you can see why, you know, that is a certain issue and so part of, you know, initiatives um, is to kind of how do we help this system in a sense and put laws in place in order for people to to thrive. And I, you know, I there's so much even within this past year and a half, you know, issues that have come out um, on media, you know, with Instagram and everything. And so there's people have their opinions and like there's. But when you do see like the data, I mean, there's no way that you can deny that there are certain groups of people that are that have these comorbidities and we want to ask like why, you know, and how can we make, you know, this better for someone? Of course. So I, yeah. No, that that's, uh, again, dropping gems of information here. That That's uh, very useful. I'm, I'm sitting here in awe and um, I'm, I'm not speaking speechless but i'm I'm just in awe for a moment and i'm just thinking back to so many individuals that, that i've known growing up who suffered from hypertension who uh mm. unfortunately it, it did result in you know heart attacks and, and even death and 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 uh looking at the lifestyle you know um the whole idea of fight or flight and folks that had right. the inability to do neither right they weren't able to fight or flee right there was no place to go no right. resources no vacation and so you, you know this chronic stress i'm just in this and every day or mm. every situation where they went they were facing this it's uh it, it's 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 terrible speak speaking speaking of data and, and this just came up as you were talking about it it, it got me to wondering i'm just you know on, on a comparative level what situations may be like elsewhere in the world right and so i, I imagine in, in similar communities similar situations you may have similar right. results or incidents of high blood pressure but you taught uh for two years in pompeii in micronesia and right. under those in, in that situation i'm just wondering what was it like there or or were you in tune with the uh incidents of hypertension or other risk factors that were experienced in pompeii yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Um, so I had the opportunity to go for two years, um, two years and I taught, but then I actually went back um, when I was doing my master's because I emphasize in global health and part of like the 
your your thesis ha- they preferred it to be globally because um, I I mentioned earlier I'm not on the podcast but with you personally how um, you don't have to go internationally to see um, you know um, vulnerable groups like you know they're here right in our backyard mm-hmm. but in Ponape or in other parts of the world it's almost like it's right in front of you and you're not like in your home to hide from it and so in Ponape Micronesia one of the things is actually nutrition and um, importation of food and so a lot of the the locals there have diabetes and also have high blood pressure, but um, diabetes is one of the highest. And, you know, you have people who are morbidly obese, like people who are like 300 pounds, um, women, more so women than men. And part of that is a lot of it is cultural. And it, but a part of that too, is just like importation of food um, that a trade that was that that was done with like the Japanese for their fish, they exchanged it for, you know, canned food. And so the canned food is what's less expensive. But then when you look at more of the the other foods that are there, like fish, you know, like there's, you know, a, you can eat fish and there's but like rice, for example. So in every meal you have rice and you have white rice. And so a lot of the culture, like when you look and they have um, carbohydrates, they have taro, they have breadfruit. And so very starchy. And so, um, and then also the mindset, like when I was talking to some of the locals there, is that if you were to eat the food from the land, you know, like the farm, that's considered like the farm food, like, you know, what you give to the pigs or what you, mm. you give, uh, or like the poor people food. So it's almost even like a prestige to like eat some of these foods that are not as healthy for you. Um, but yet, you know, you have this abundance of other food, but then like avocados, for example, I was shocked. Because here, avocados are something that you want to eat. But in Ponape Micronesia, they give avocado to the pigs. They don't understand why people would want to eat avocados. Um, But it's because that's considered, again, pig food. And so just like the perception, you know, not understanding, like, you know, how rich in vitamins, you know, avocado is and how you can have, like, this healthy diet. And But again, it also has to do with just um, what's available and, like, that access to food. So... What's more expensive, I remember a watermelon, watermelon, like they would cut them in half and then they would, you know, wrap them up and then you would buy it by portion. So for half a watermelon, it would be like $8, you know, just to eat watermelon and super expensive. And then like fruits and vegetables that were imported were, you know, like high prices. And so then you have like um, oxtail, which is something very popular that they eat. So oxtail would be a dollar, you know, for the can. So if you look at a family and you're trying to feed, you know, your kids and everyone and they they're very um, family oriented, like in the islands, um, it's a lot cheaper to get, you know, the oxtail can and then make rice and eat that. But that's affecting their health. And so, um, yeah, a lot of different barriers to that. But nutrition is is one of them. Um, Also, alcoholism. Um, There's not a lot to do on the island, but they do have a a root, which is called cacao, and they drink Mm -hmm. and they, you know, and so you can kind of see that. And with alcoholism comes other factors like um, uh, like violence. And so, you know, and a lot of the kids. So in the education system, you know, you grow up and basically you just stay there. They do have Ponape is the capital of the of Micronesia. So there's other islands within Micronesia. So since it's the capital, a lot of um, other islanders come um, to college and then they go back to their main island so they can, you know, whatever they study, they can work there. Mm-hmm. So it is more one of the more populated ones, but you can definitely see, or even just healthcare system. I remember I unfortunately got really sick when I was out there and um, I went to one of the preferred hospitals. And when I was there, I was literally on the bed And a cockroach just was like on, you know, on the bed. (laughs) So I remember, you know, being sick and I'm like, oh man, I'm like here with cockroaches, right? Right. So just like environmental health things that, you know, we regulate so strongly um, there, it just doesn't happen as frequently. Um, So there's, you know, different challenges, different struggles, um, but you can, you can definitely, there's, there's work to be done everywhere. Sure. No, you, you, that was very revealing uh, to the question I asked about the com- compared sort of a comparative analysis of, of cultural trends or, or incidents of hypertension. And and you brought up some great points of, you know, the maybe some of the root causes. Um, and 
Um, you didn't say the word, but I'm thinking, you know, from colonization, you mentioned the trade with Japanese mm-hmm. or whatnot. And, and, you know, like many nations, Japan did colonize many nations. Right. And, and I know from history that, you know, many cultures and I'm thinking also you know, Pacific Islands in, in uh, particular right now, but also here, my Native American people, you know, the colonization here. Well, this was different than colonization, but the, the point remains. Yes. A lot of the natural foods that we consumed we no longer consume because it was, you know, remodeled after an industrial revolutionary type uh, system out of uh, out of Europe. Right. Where folks now are going to work and not farming anymore. They're working. And so right. they, they don't have time to grow their own food and eat the traditional foods. But a being able to buy mass produced foods, preserved foods that have lots of salts and preservatives or you know, things like you said, like the rice and whatnot. And so I know this happened right. in lots of places. We can look at um, the island of uh, Samoa uh, when, with, the, mm. uh, with the trade there. A lot of spam is, is eaten there in, in other countries because, you know, and this is from World War II. It was, you know, easy yes. to store, consume, to, to it last a long time and, and people could get to work and, and grind that way and not worry about the food. But the result is, you know, we're everywhere eating a lot of unhealthy foods and so the education that you're bringing to various groups is important and uh i hope you know i i hope that it does lead to it to a to a change and and i think it is possible I, th- I think people need to again really understand the root causes of it and why you know because right now yes. it, you know those types of lifestyles are entrenched so um as you said yes. we have work to do everywhere right Right. (laughs) Absolutely. It's just what you decide to focus on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's so much. (laughs) And that's that's why we need excellent folks like you and others to just, you know, uh, be our heroes in in all of those areas. You know, we we can focus on them, you know, create task force and and understand that, you know, because there is so much to do, we, you know, no one person or one group can do it all. But together, you know, we we can make a difference for sure. sure. Speaking of making a difference. Here's another segue. Um, you, um, as I understand it from a conversation we had, <clears throat> excuse me, you had a um, a time where you were working heavily within the framework of the COVID response teams. Um, for example, as yes. a, lo- a logistics officer for was it for distribution or or, or ex- explain that to, to me yes. for for the folks listening because this is an, another important task that you did and uh, must have been a extremely life-changing experience definitely yes so i um when covid-19 the pandemic hit um it became an emergency response for san bernardino county um, in February, like towards the end of February. And then by March, um, you know, all of the plans that were in place for a pandemic response were um, the fruition of that started, you know, coming to life. And um, I joined the response in May. So they had already been a couple months in. Um, but I started off, you know, as a regular employee for the Department of Public Health. And um, I was a health educator and hired on to to be a health education um, specialist for the workforce development program. Um, but what happens during a pandemic response that I wasn't even aware of, or just an emergency response, so even if an earthquake were to hit or if there was a disaster um, within a local government jurisdiction, um, what happens is within the county, it gets activated um, dip- on a level one, level two, or a level three. And so for the pandemic, it was definitely a level one response. Um, it gradually, you know, it changed, you know, depending on the circumstance, but we were definitely, when I came in, it was a full level one response. And so I came in as a health educator, but then I was remoted or I uh, was essentially asked to be a disaster relief worker. And several people, like, you know, if you look at county badges, you'll see that any within the county, that's just government that if you're part of the county, you're under the understanding. If there is a response, you just deploy out. And so I started off with um, the call center. So anyone who had questions, <laughs> they would call and, you know, we would, you know, be in communication with the CDC and get information out to the community. And but once the response happened, I actually was moved to the Department Operations Center. And that's where 
Um, I was operations chief for a minute um, because my boss ended up moving to another area. So you're basically just moving around mm -hmm. depending on where the need is. Um, but once he left, I became op chief of operations, but then I switched to chief of logistics. And so in the operations center is basically all the plans that are being done. So um, you basically have it's their set plans and then the operations to actually, if you were having a testing unit, which, you know, in the beginning stage, everyone was getting tested for COVID, um, you make the plan, but then logistics is what carries it out. So any of the resources that needed to be out into the field to the different places, logistics is um, with the warehouse and the med room are in control of that. And then they the distribution happens. So again, it happened in phases. And then since I was um, switched to logistics chief um, during the testing unit, um, when the vaccine came, um, that I was also still the chief on, on that. So like the vaccine distribution. So it started off um, the distribution for going to the different, you know, hospitals and we we're deploying out, but then um, we became more advanced. And then even within like the federal government, like they had their different protocols or through the state, but um, it was, it was life changing. Like I was working crazy hours um, from five in the morning until like 5 p.m. And then other times I remember one night just because in a response or an emergency, like you just do like you um, you're activated <laughs> basically, mm -hmm. you know, with some, you know, regulations. But, um, you know, to get the work done, like emergencies happen. And so I remember one time I was there from five in the morning to like 10 p.m. And um, and this was like Monday through Friday and then some Saturdays. But um, for me, it was just being able to see like the community and how the county comes together um, was amazing to me, you know, and even like our own capacity, like, you know, I thought about myself, I never thought I could do anything like that. Um, it has changed me. I'm a, a different person <laughs> than I was a year and a half ago, just because you build a new resiliency. And like for all of us, I think, you know, as we've been experiencing the pandemic and the response, we've built a new resiliency as people. And um, for me, it just happened to be, I was building that personally and professionally. And it was, you know, yeah, they're still there, <laughs> you know, right. um, shout out to the Department of Public Health, you know, for everything that they're doing. Yes. Um, I know the coworkers closely, I know exactly what they're going through. And I know even right now, things have probably changed because things change quickly. And so what's really cool, too, about the system and how it works is that it's called Incident Command System, so ICS. And so we get trained on it, but you basically could, could, can go to Georgia, and it will, it will still be Incident Command System, ICS. So anywhere you go, it's this system, this government system that follows. So you can step in. I will, yeah, I can go to Florida. I can go wherever. And just having that knowledge, I know exactly you know, what chief of logistics does, chief of operations, chief of planning, chief of finance, and how these all interconnect. And, you know, that's what they use within the federal government as well. So it was eye-opening sure. <laughs> and, um, but a really challenging and good experience. No, I'm, I'm sure. And I just want to say thank you so much for, for, for your service, right? Because th that is dedication and, and service, you know, and, and, uh, at the highest level, I would say, um, I, I, I don't know, uh, how many people I've, I've, I've talked to over, you know, the last year that have, that have talked about, you know, people jumping into action or, or whether it was voluntary or, you know, part of their job. But again, just, um, thank you for that. I want to, I want to take a oh, quick, yeah. quick break, um, uh, for our sponsors, but I, I want to come back and talk to you about, you know, how you even got to this point of being in this field, right? We talked about, you know, where you've go, gone and, and some of the things you've done and the great works and experiences that you've had. But I want to come back and get some insight as to how you got to this point so that, you know, listeners um, can direct others to a pathway similar to yours. We'll be right back. Where do you watch TV? On Watch TV. Nowhere. On Watch TV. What's on Watch TV? On Watch TV is one of the most exciting channels on Roku and Amazon Fire TV with lots of categories to choose from, from movies to music, documentaries, and more. There's something for everyone. 
What if people want to place their content on Watch TV? You can visit the website onwatchtv.net to find out more or email onwatchtv at gmail.com. Don't forget, check out On Watch TV. See you on Watch TV. See you on Watch TV. On Watch TV is available now on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. Check it out. On Watch TV. Thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. This is Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z while we chew the gum. As always, I want to thank my listeners from all around the world, even listeners that are not in Micronesia, but close. We have folks in the Philippines and Australia, not not uh, very close, but in a similar uh, 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 a similar region of the world. How about that? So but but thank you to everyone listening. Remember, you can always submit questions or show topic ideas or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can do all of that by emailing let's chew the gum at gmail.com. Let's chew the gum at gmail.com. I'm always open to answering questions. And, and as you guys know, um, I'll take your questions and bring them right to the air for others to to hear and, and to explore. So, again, I'm with my guest, Jennifer Silva. We've been having a great conversation about her experience in um, public health administration and public health works, um, not only here in Southern California, but around the world. Um, our conversation on hypertension and uh, COVID response has been spectacular, and um, I hope to have more. But uh, for the audience, I, I wanted to take a moment to um, talk about, you know, your root motivations of, of how you got on this track to this uh, career pathway and um, to give others an insight, because I'm sure there are folks out there that would love to be able to do the things you're doing and have those experiences. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit of a background as to how you got here, I would appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so when I was very young, actually, um, I was about seven years old um, and my family, uh, we would attend, we would attend this, um, this church and part of the church, they actually would have what was called like a spotlight um, on different people from around the world. And, you know, they would talk about like their story and, you know, most of the people like were from everywhere. So from Africa, from the islands, South America. And so I remember at a really young age, I was intrigued by that. I was intrigued by people, you know, and how people grow up in different circumstances and how, you know, a lot of the, the spotlight for that person or that country and that community, how they would highlight, you know, just um, where they were at, like, you know, the farm that they were living in or the healthcare um, unit that they were a part of. And so um, I knew, you know, like, because that was of interest to me at a really young age that I wanted to. Um, work in the field where, you know, I would work with people um, from all over, you know, internationally, and people just intrigued me, like I mentioned earlier. So as I grew up, you know, went to high school, I ended up going to undergrad at a Los Angeles University in Riverside. And Los Angeles University, um, they had a program where you can work internationally. And they had um, also what was considered like a mission um, field where you can go out and I remember that they had a week where they would talk about where students had gone to different places around the world and they would teach. And so um, we, would, we were able to talk to some of these students. And um, when I went to La Sierra, I decided to do psychology at first, but then didn't really do well in psychology 101. And so I'm like, maybe it's not for me. So I switched to nursing because I did like the nursing field and the healthcare field. And, you know, nursing is a, you know, a really great profession. And so I finished my prerequisites for nursing and I was in transition uh, to go to Loma Linda University um, School of Nursing. But I, you know, this week happened and I, you know, because at that young age and because that was of interest to me, you know, I decided to take a leap of faith and I decided to actually go to Ponape Micronesia. And while I was there, I was teaching and I was also a part of different health initiatives. They had an initiative where they would go to villages and they would um, clean the wounds because you can get really deep sores um, as kids because they're walking barefoot. Mm. And so we were part of this Band-Aid clinic. And so I was kind of doing the health piece and also the education piece. And so when I came back home after the two years, I you know, decided I'm like, you know, I really like nursing, you know, like the treatment side. But I'm like, but 
there was something within me that I'm like, you know, I just actually like to educate, you know, kids and young minds and to teach them, you know, like about their future and like, you know, and inspire them. So I switched my degree to education. I graduated, um, you know, with education and then an emphasis in the physical sciences because I still had the nursing background. And then while I was in transition, I took a pause and it was during the time where um, teachers were being laid off as well because of the economy. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, decided, I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And so I realized there was three things I was interested in global, just global life, international life, people, um, education and health. And so when I was in that journey to discover, you know, okay, what is a good field for me? I was doing some research and I saw different, um, you know, uh, majors at Loma Linda University and I saw public health and public health, you know, they gave you a description. And what really intrigued me is that they had an emphasis in global health. And so I read, you know, what the curriculum was, you know, the different classes and it had the prevention side, it had the health side and it had the global side. So for me, I decided, you know, to go and, you know, go and I, you know, I got in and um, it's been for me, one of the most rewarding fields because with public health, um, like I've mentioned, I've had a lot of different experiences because the profession is very broad and you can specialize in different things. A lot of people who get into public health, some of them do epidemiology, um, data analysis, um, biostatistician, um, health education is a field. And so I've been kind of in more the health education field, but I've also worked internationally as well. And what I like about public health um, and what they teach you is that you can treat, right? You can, and that people have that passion. You can have that treatment. You can go to the hospital, but with public health, it's like you can work with communities and you can um, change kind of like the perspective, you know, as far as just health. And I personally love education because one of the things that I've learned is that you can't really hold someone accountable to something they don't know. Mm, You know, it's pretty much like, you know, it's, you're here and like, you know, and like, depending on your life experience, depending on what been taught to you your upbringing you have a certain perception but what education does is that it allows you to have another perspective you know and now you have a choice right to do what you want to do with that perception with that education that's given to you and so for me um, that's what how my journey and like where it's led and how I've decided I started working also when I was doing my master's in public health I was working for a community academic program at Loma Linda. So I was working for part-time, but then also getting my degree. So I was fortunate enough that I did that because in the field of public health, it's really hard to get a job like right after you graduate. But I, because I had that work experience and because I was working with San Bernardino County, I was able to get a position like within San Bernardino County within two months. Um, But it, you know, again, like for me, it's been amazing and I've had amazing opportunities and going back to that education piece about knowledge and how like you know learning how it opens up your opportunities is that I was able to go to Brazil and we were a part of a school there and I remember when and we were in the Amazon so we actually went through boat and we were there and it was very remote and even the Brazilians don't go there some Mm. of the Brazilians were like how did you make it here (laughs) like you know even some of us would never make it to the Amazon and I'm like, you know, I'm here. So we, we were there and I remember they were building a, a library for the kids on this specific area. And I will never forget when the kid opened the book, he was looking at an air. It was a car. He had never seen a car in his life because in the Amazon, they don't have cars. They have, you know, airplanes that come into the water. But so he's looking at it and then I explained this is a car and this is what people use, you know, in other parts of the world to go from here to there. Mm -hmm. And so it just gave me that understanding that, you know, there's so much that we don't know, you know, and how education like allows that. And so for me, because I'm passionate about health and people and um, because health for me um, in many ways, it's like your livelihood, right? Like if you're in good health, like you're able to, you know, be with your family, live long with people, especially right now during the pandemic who are not in good health, you know, they're suffering through this and they are struggling and it's, you know, it's been taking people's lives. And so for me, I think, you know, if I'm able to educate on that and give someone that perspective that maybe they don't have, um, it just fulfills me personally. 
very 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 well said no that that's that's the blueprint i mean you have the the passion and the and the inspiration and and the stick-to-itiveness right and and the desire you have the desire to to sort of seek out and, and explore and, and i hope that encourages uh folks especially my younger audience um that's listening that encourages people who are wondering and, and searching for you know career paths and choices or or even some of my uh, folks who are parents and grandparents to um, allow or have you know younger children hear this um, because you can do what you love and, and make a career of it and and the fact that you love doing it it reminds me of so much of myself being a teacher you said a, a couple of things mm-hmm. as far as you can't be held accountable for what you don't know and and that's one of the thrills I get from education is you know, helping people to realize other perspectives or bringing people together that have different perspectives and, and having those conversations because it is transformative. It, it is life changing. But um, so I, I'm very, very grateful to, to have you um, in this field. Someone again, my, my last guest last week was another one who just cared so much about people. And, and you guys have, have shared mm. that that common thread of concern and care for people. Right. And, and, and that's that's great. That's great because, I, you know, I've also seen people in, in healthcare and in service industries and including teachers that don't like people necessarily or don't like kids. And I'm thinking, <laughs> why are you why are, why are you doing this? Right. Why are you you know, you should you should be in a, another field where you're isolated and, and you don't have to interact because, you know, you can really do damage to people, you know, misinformation right. or, or just having the, the wrong attitude or particular, you know, uh, perspective on a certain group. And, and um, it's. Uh, we, and we hear about it all the time. So thank you so much for, for your passion. I am. Um, oh, yeah. I have had the pleasure of this has been a, a great pleasure for me to have you on the show. And um, I could go on for hours, but um, I, I, I know I have to, to wrap up soon. But I wanted to ask for for our uh-huh. listeners if there are particular resources Right. Because you're with IEHP and and, and you're doing your programs there. But that would be more for folks who are uh, signed to IEHP, the Inland Empire Health Plan. But are there resources that you would recommend for folks to go to to get awareness about um, hypertension uh, prevention or and also um, issues related to COVID? Are there any resources that you could recommend? Yeah, definitely. So um, for the, you know, I know high desert, right? And just, you know, as far as like the Inland Empire, um, I have to make, have a shout out to some of my colleagues up in the high desert. Um, it's called the Simba Center. And, you know, they have, it's, um, they have a center where you can come, even if you don't have health insurance, and they will do preventative screenings. Um, they will offer tests for, you know, COVID testing, um, and even for vaccination, you know, if you are looking to get vaccinated, if that's something that's interest of you. Um, and then even within like just a department of public health, um, there's different resources. Like if you go to the emergency preparedness page. So if you just go to, um, I guess department of public health.org or even COVID-19.org, um, there's a lot of resources there, even for people, um, who have struggled financially with like their business, for example, there are loans that are given out um, to people who who need that assistance um, because of you know COVID-19. And so I would definitely, for anything related to COVID, whether it is to get vaccinated, whether it is to get tested, if you have questions, go to COVID-19, um, svcovid19.org, and you'll find all the information there. Um, for any like mental health services, um, also the County of San Bernardino and Riverside County, they have um, their behavioral health department. So if you want to, again, everything.org, I just usually type into Google um, Department of Public Health in San Bernardino County or whatever city that you pertain to, and then the resources just come up. Um, But yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of resources, even for education. Um, I know for me, looking at the different education systems that you have and your proximity, um, they'll be able to help you as well if you're interested in, you know, um, advancing your degree or where to be connected. Even like the libraries, they have different resources and information um, that you can get from. So, you know, I think of Hesperia. I love that library, you know, probably because I grew up there too. 
<laughs> but in Sperry, the county library, I remember they would have different programs for the kids and then they would have different speakers come and they would have just flyers of information. Like if you wanted to get your GRE or your GED, um, they'll show you and they'll give you um, free classes. Um, so there's definitely, there's just so much resource out there. Um, but, you know, looking, you know, if you have access to the internet, um, just typing in your city and with any department, whether it's behavioral health or mental health services, public health services, um, IHP, even though you're not a member, we do offer like the CRCs and you can go up there as well. So those would be my recommendations. That was outstanding. That one, again, a wealth of resources. I, I'm so glad I asked that question. So, you know, it just sheds light on the fact that, you know, I don't want to say there there aren't any excuses for not knowing because some people truly, you know, sometimes you don't know or students, I'll have students that don't know how to find out what it is they don't know. And, and that's an right. important skill. I, I was telling a group of seniors today, you know, it's all, it's okay to not know, but let's, let's talk about learning how to find out what it is we don't know. Because if we yes. know what it is we don't know, then we can formulate the question that will lead us to it. And, and sometimes so many people are, are stuck and maybe they hadn't learned those skills. So again, back to that idea of you're not accountable for what you don't know, but we're going to teach right. you. We're going to help you to understand how to find that information so that you can become more self-sufficient so that you can become a resource for others. Right. So some of some yes. of the audience that's listening here, whether they're, you know, here in California or across the United States or an audience around the world. Right. This is a wealth of information that we're, that's been put out today. If you don't know, please just reach out and ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Please don't be afraid yes. to ask. And if nothing else, ask me. Email us. Let's chew the gum yes. at gmail.com. I'm, I'm always telling people I love questions. I don't mind questions. My passion is education. <laughs> My passion is helping others. And, you know, you don't have to, to know me for me to help you. So um, please take advantage. I'm going to put as many of those resources in the show description uh, for this show. Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for shedding light and sharing your story and experiences with us. It's been phenomenal. You have been a great and continue to be a, a great representative for not just this show, but our community in general and more specifically for this month's uh, highlight and spotlight on Hispanic Heritage Month. So I just want to thank you again so much for joining. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity. It was a pleasure to share and a pleasure to even meet you and you know, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. For the audience out there, again, this is Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z while we chew the gum. And remember, we always have something for your mind. Something for your Mind. Mind.